Um, so why don't we praise God and welcome to the stage Pastor Timothy George as he comes to share the word. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Why don't we just give God one last big hurrah? So wait, 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 wait. I love the excitement, but let's let's do it in unity, people. All right, so I'm going to count on the count of three, all right? So one, two, three. Hurrah! Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your church. Thank you, Jesus, for your people. Thank you, Jesus, for your heart, Lord, and your goodness, God. And Lord, your Word moves all things, God. And Lord, help it to move us today, Father, to become more like you, closer to you, more in love with you. Amen. All right, grab a seat. Now we're ready. Easter next week. So good. This year we're going to be celebrating the Passover season uh, with... Uh, we're going to be doing it a little bit differently and specifically through the lens of uh, Jesus as the groom and the church as the bride. Now, over the next two Sundays, we're going to be swept up in Jesus' romantic heart for us and the love story that is human history. We'll begin today with uh, first love and the development of mankind's relationship with Jesus, uh, from first encounters to infatuation and conflict. Next Sunday will be called Forever Love, and it will be celebrating Jesus' resurrection and our redemption with an earthly rehearsal of what we see in Revelations 19 and Matthew 22, that is the heavenly wedding banquet between Jesus the groom and we the church bride. And that... Next week will also culminate in an interactive artwork. That's for those that have been here before and have been part of Easter, you know all about that. But as for everybody else, you'll, wait, you'll have to wait to hear more about that next week. And during these services, I'll be paralleling each theme with anecdotes from my own love life, as well as excerpts from Song of Songs, uh, which is an entire book of the Bible devoted to Jesus' romantic pursuit of the church. Lastly, um, yes, as Joel mentioned, we would love everybody to wear white next week. It isn't compulsory, okay? <laughs> but let me tell you this, though. Let me just like, put a little bit of um, inspiration behind you. Because Matthew 22 says that um, when you get to the heavenly banquet, if you don't have the correct attire... <sighs> I can hear people groaning because people are familiar with the Scripture. If you don't have the correct attire in Matthew 22, when you get to heaven, when you get to the wedding banquet, your hands and your feet will be tied and you'll be thrown out. So I can promise you we won't do that here. <laughs> so that's, that's a good incentive, you know, invite your friends. We won't do that here. So that's good. Um, and on that note, who's ready? But can you ever really be ready for Song of Songs though? <laughs> yeah. Song of Songs 1, 3 to 4. Your name is like perf perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Many a song has been inspired by love. 
But it's Jesus' love for us that is the song of all songs, isn't it? Church, I want to invite you today as we enter into this service, let's, let's run away with Jesus together in our hearts. Let's get carried away. Let's run away with Jesus. Let's pray again. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we just, we don't have the words, God. We just have the hearts, God. So let our hearts be in line with you today. Let us feel what you feel for us, Lord. Let us, let us grow in deeper intimacy with you, God. Heal our hearts, Lord. Amen. All right, starting part number one, the encounter. Song of Songs 1 verse 7. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. I was 10 years old and at summer camp when I was first seen by a girl. <laughs> you know what I mean, seen, seen. And, um, and uh, it was really quite annoying because she kept sitting next to me and the more I tried to move away and the further I tried to move away, the closer and closer she seemed to sit to me until eventually I just stood, her up, stood up and told her off and I said, go away. <laughs> and she rushed out crying and her friends rushed in with enraged, you know, to tell me off. And they said, they said you're a jerk. And I, I was all like, what? What did I do? What? And I was like, she was the one annoying me, you know, like she was doing it to me. And then they said, don't you even realize she likes you? And then I was like, wow. And it was like exploding head emoji, you know, like. And, and suddenly from that moment on, my eyes were open to this tumultuous world of dating, just like that. It's how it happens. It's nice to be seen by someone, isn't it? But I can tell you this. Let me tell you this. There's a mystery in this, and I want you to, I want you to connect with it. The very first time you'll ever truly be seen is in the eyes of Jesus. First time. John 1, 47 to 49 when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. <laughs> How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. How rare to be seen by someone, truly seen. How wonderfully life-changing. Jesus sees you. He sees you in a way that I, I, I'll never be able to see you, that, those, that your, your partner will never be able to see you, that you will never even be able to see yourself. 
In worship this morning, I was weeping, weeping. I'm like, I don't even know my own heart. (laughs) I'm like, God, why am I crying? Can you give me some info into my own heart? Let me see what's going on, you know. Jesus sees you. And I wonder, do you ever look back? Do you ever lock eyes with Jesus? See, I I won't be the one to turn away. When I lock eyes with Jesus, I'm just going to hold. You know, you have staring competitions as a kid, back to being a kid. Have staring competitions. It's especially good if you like the person that you're trying to stare at and then you gaze into each other's eyes and you're not going to be the one to turn away. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Him. See, like Simeon, when Jesus was born and presented at the temple, there were people, there was the prophetic, the discerning were there already waiting for Him. The people that loved Him were waiting for Him and and. Simeon holds the baby and he says, I could just die right now. Not in a bad way, in a good way. He said, my, my life is accomplished. I've, I've held the Messiah. I've seen the Messiah. I could die a happy man. I've seen Jesus. That's love. And I've got here too, like Aerosmith, you know that song. I just want to stay here in this moment forever. Every moment spent with you. Every love song ever pales in comparison to when you just can see Jesus. In all life, there's only one real love. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Why was your heart created? Your heart was created to love Jesus, right? Don't we, like, if you think about that and you were to actually look at your heart and you were to say, well, how much time, if that was the purpose, the created purpose of my heart, how much time do I actually do it? Would that challenge you to think that? If our hearts are created to love Jesus, that's their created purpose. Sure, other things will flow through that. But the core of your heart's purpose is to love Jesus. I believe we need to do it more. I believe we need to do it better. Everything else compared to that, it's just a fleeting shadow. I'm, I'm talking about things that we count as big. I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about children. I'm talking about family and friendships. They are fleeting shadows compared to what your heart was created to do. Compared to that love that we are, to, we are charged to, we are created to feel for Jesus. And likewise, I've got here as well that the primary directive of the church, you know, the primary responsibility, directive, purpose of the church is not relationships. We don't come to the church because we love the church. We are the church. We gather here on Sunday and we gather to our connect groups primarily because we love Jesus. 
we are following Jesus into the calling that he has for us. Is that right? Am I, are you with me here? Because we've got to be on the same page in these matters. Because if not, we just become another temple. Another bunch of idolaters. Because anything placed in the position of Jesus is just another form of idolatry. So we need to examine our own heart. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come more to that in a second. The 12 disciples were all of all ages, abilities, and occupation. And John 1, 48, yep, which is still up, great. It gives us a clue into Jesus' selection process. And I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is 100% true. I tried to find the scriptures on this. Uh, but when Jesus was selecting the disciples, it doesn't really go much into what his mindset was during the selection process. But this gives us a clue in the way that he describes Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel was an, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And that is incredibly important because the 12 disciples, if you think about it, Jesus had his pick of the litter. All of Israel was waiting for the Messiah. He could see the inner worlds of all of these people. He could have picked anyone, but he chose the 12 for a specific reason. And here is some insight into the kind of people he is looking for. Into the, to the first people of the church, the forerunners of the church. This is the quality he is after. And people in which there is no guile, no deceit, no hypocrisy, no hiding away. The Greek word for guile is dolos, meaning to bait, to lure, to hook. And I find that especially ironic considering that Jesus commissioned other disciples by promising them that they will become fishers of men, right? How am I going to be a fisher of men with no bait, no lure, no hook? It's interesting. Mankind's desperation to be loved when coupled with sin's shame compels us to deceive. We would justify it by saying, I am putting my best foot forward. I'm putting up my best photo on Instagram. The one that doesn't really look like me. In fact, that person looks just that little bit better. Let's use their photo. In fact, when I talk with that person, I'm getting more, they're giving me more of my need. Maybe I should build more of a relationship there. And before we know it, before we know it, we that say we don't deceive, before we know it, deception is unlocking things for us that we feel are meeting our needs, but it is taking us to a place that isn't even us. I'm telling you, this is rampant. Naturally, a person says, oh, I don't deceive. It's my natural inclination. That's not me. It's, it's so easily done. There's a whole TV show about this. It's called MTV's Catfish, Back to Fishing. <laughs> Literally, that's the whole show. People put up false images. They create false relationships. 
Here's the thing about a liar though. No matter how much they plead love, the thing about a liar is you just can't trust him, isn't it? Like Jesus is no fool. Jesus, who is the best of all men, Jesus that is God in flesh, what he wants from people is not the lies, not the deceit. You know what? He didn't ask them to be perfect with the disciples, but he asked them to have a little bit of honesty, a little bit of self-awareness. Jesus is unlike anyone we'll ever meet. He's a king, among, a king amongst men. He will not trick. He will not manipulate. He will not force. He will see you. And he will free you. See and free. He'll help you see yourself. He'll help you climb off sin's hook, sin's bait, sin's lure. And for this reason, whenever a truth, a true truth lover encounters Jesus, they are compelled to join Nathaniel in boldly declaring, you are the son of God. You can't encounter Jesus and love the truth without being compelled to say such a thing. Nathaniel just met him. He only told him, I saw you. And yet so rare, so miraculous, it's just to see someone that a truth seeker like Nathaniel, hearing that honesty, hearing that truth, seeing Jesus' heart for him, is forced to declare upon first meeting someone a single sentence to say, surely you are the Messiah. Surely you are the Son of God. Jesus accomplished that. With something of five words. I saw you. And Nathaniel saw him back. That's I hope you see Jesus back for who he really is. Second part to this is infatuation. Song of Songs 2:8. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes. Leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. Who remembers the original Superman? Way back in the day. All right, all right. This is for you. If you remember it, this is for you. Because this sounds like it's straight from the intro to the original Superman. Faster than a speeding Elijah. More powerful than a loco Samson. Able to leap tall mountains in a single bound. It's a bird, it's a place, it's super Jesus. When you first fall in love, you experience an emotion that's commonly referred to as infatuation. Infatuation, the word is derived from the Latin infatuare, which means to make a fool of. When I was in kindergarten, I, uh, I, me and my best mate, Ben Potts, uh, fell into infatuation with a girl named Gemma Scott. And as a five-year-old, <laughs> while ago, <laughs> as a five-year-old in my infatuation, I thought Gemma, Gemma Scott was the most beautiful girl in the world. But having kept every single school photo ever that I ever had taken, you know, I, I, I had enough, I've got retrospect to look back and I can tell you respectfully, she is not. 
Poď ma. Infatuation helps relationships get started. Helps you overlook negative traits and it makes that person like the sun to your like the sun to your galaxy. I don't know that's that right? Yeah. The sun to your galaxy. Like your whole life begins orbiting around that person. The only way you can feel light and warmth is when you're in basking around that person, you know. Now, generally, I would tell you that that's a foolish idea. Unless, of course, that person is the son, Jesus. Jesus The Bible quite literally calls Jesus the light of the world and not only of the world, but of of heaven itself. Now in the apocalyptic book, I just want to check that that makes sense to you, all right? Because this this was a big deal to me. Um, Realizing this concept was a big deal to me because, you know, a lot of people, like they, they they bad mouth infatuation. They say, oh, you know, come to me when you've got a real relationship. You know, you're just going through infatuation, you know? Um, But what I'm saying here is that your infatuation with Jesus is a good thing. Is that clear? That's okay, good. And I'll back it up in some more scripture in a second. In the apocalyptic book of Revelations, as Jesus reflects on human history, he writes seven letters, one to each angel over the churches. Now concerning the church in Ephesus, Jesus writes this, I know your works, your labor, your patience, And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and they're not. And you've found them to be liars. And you've persevered and you've had patience and you've labored labored for my namesake and you've not become weary. Sounds amazing. Really good job. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. Everything about the the church in Ephesus, it looks so right on the outside. They patiently labored for the gospel. Tick. They delight in truth and goodness. Tick, tick. Clearly they love Jesus. There's not many people who will be patient and not have a relationship with Jesus. You know, clearly they love Jesus. And yet the issue is that they've lost their first love. That beautiful, reverent infatuation. And I want to talk about that word reverence as well. The root of the word reverence is were. It's actually were. And it means to perceive, to watch out for. Now, when you're first in love, you're so aware of that person. Like, you're aware of everything. When they arrive, your face lights up. You're like, oh, they're here. You get that little excitement. You try not to show it because you're like, you're too cool. (laughs) You get all excited that they're rocked up. And then once they're there, you know exactly where they are in the room, right? And not only where they are in the room, but you know like where their hand is in relation to your hand, you know, kind of swaying it at the same time just seems natural to hold hands. You know, every little action they do, every little word they say, you read into it. 
Too much so. You're like, what did they mean when they said that? How can they like me? (laughs) Uh, I reckon this church in Ephesus, I reckon they'd lost some of that. You know... I don't know how to word this, you know, but you can tell when it's there. I can tell when I meet a person whether that reverence, that that first love for Jesus is there. There's something almost childlike in that person. Like there's something, there's something, you cannot leave a person like that without being kind of filled up. It like charges my spiritual battery. I'm like, you know, I meet those people and I'm like, you know what? Let's just go and start telling people right now, you know. <laughs> We've got a car. we got five bucks. Let's go buy someone a coffee and tell them about Jesus. You know, it's just like, it's that first love. It just drives you to do stupid stuff. Like when you're dating, it's like, you know, Pastor Shree's my first date was like walking around a skate park, you know. Like it's like, it's dumb stuff, but it was the best. I loved it. And that's that first love. That's that infatuation. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It's who you're going through it with. <laughs> so that love for Jesus. Can you, have you got it? So that love for Jesus. You know, I can tell you this. Jesus is worthy of all love. But he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't want just any love. He doesn't want second place. He wants your first love. First love. Part three, conflict. Song of Songs, 8-6. Place me like a seal over your heart like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. My first question to new couples is always, have you had a fight yet? (laughs) Always, they hate it. I lost count how much dating, fighting, and breaking that I did as a teenager. You know, as a teenager, you know, you know, when you're dating, then you're breaking in, and then you're breaking up, and then you're breaking down, and then your face is breaking out, right? So you've gone full circle, you know, you've got all the breaking. By 17, I was a veteran. I'd almost given up on the whole thing. At 18, I met a country lass from the little town of Yass named Pastor Sheree, just Sheree at the time. And right from the outset, Sheree and I began our relationship fighting. (laughs) Fighting over theological differences, fighting with our families, fighting to stay together, fighting our own selves. And there comes a time... When you stop fighting together and you start fighting together for Jesus. In the book of Malachi, 
God talks about his expectation of your homes, of your marriages. His expectation is not that it feels good for you. His expectation is godly children. And I I don't care in the flesh, forget the flesh. I'm talking in the spirit. I don't care if you've got kids or not. In your relationship, God expects life from your relationship. More than just you. You know, we can get so hung up in our own problems that we forget the gospel. Life is in the gospel. We can't keep fighting together, introverting, 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 imploding, imploding, imploding. That makes us ineffective. Our relationships, our hearts exist to love Jesus. Our relationships exist to bring life, birth life, birth the gospel. Now, every relationship has fights. I reckon God's been fighting with mankind since just about the dawn of time. And that's a fight for your heart. Back to that scripture, Song of Songs 8, 6 for a second. You can see the fight in the scripture. And I'm wondering who's going to win in your life. Is it going to be Jesus' jealousy or is it going to be the grave? the unyielding grave. Isaiah 54, 5. There's going to be a a lot of Scripture here, so buckle up, church. We're going in. Isaiah 54, 5. Your maker is your husband. This is Old Testament. Your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is His name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Exodus 34, 14. For you shall not worship any other God for the Lord, whose name is literally jealousy, is literally jealous. He's a jealous God. That's why his name's jealous. Ezekiel 14, 3. These men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. There is an important lesson to you here about Scripture and about idols because modern life tends to think of idols as, you know, a Buddha statue or something like that. That's our very narrow reading, superficial reading. Idols aren't just statues. The primary meaning of the word idol is actually vanity. And here it says, the idol in your heart, in your heart. God is not a concerner. Like he doesn't care about outward appearance. He cares about your heart. If you've put that idol in your heart, if you've put your vanity in your heart, then to him it is the equivalent of nothingness. You're wasting your heart. You're wasting your life. That vanity is as of nothingness, a waste. Jeremiah 3, 8, and this is tragic. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries. Complete and total breakdown. With the matter of four verses, we've gone for the complete and total breakdown post-Eden when sin is already in the world. God reached out. He tried again. He tried to have a relationship through the prophets, through the word, through different things. And we've seen again a complete and utter breakdown of that relationship resulting in mankind's adultery and God's divorce from mankind.
I don't know about you, but I'm just so tired of this story. I am tired of broken marriages, broken friendships, broken identity. I'm tired of seeing people flinch just to be around each other because of the hurt that's there between them. Love and sin don't mix. God and sin don't mix. Love and sin don't mix. It's brought us to our knees and we've got to just pray, Jesus, please, we need a miracle. We need you, Jesus. When you love someone, when you, when you really love someone, it doesn't matter about being right. The fight, stops even matter, the fight stops even mattering because when you're fighting and, and you, it's back and forward and you see them suffering, you know, like even if you say a word, it hurts you too. It bounces back when you love someone. And you can't attack them without it bouncing back to you because you're in relationship with that person. God is a relational God. He understands these things. He invented marriage. This is the deepest relationship you'll ever have. And... It breaks my heart, Jeremiah 8, 21. I hurt with the hurt of my people. Before Jesus even came, God felt it all. Jesus takes it upon himself. He's right there with you. Even within the hopelessness of death and divorce, God refuses to let go. Hosea 3, 1. Go, show your love to your wife wife again. She is loved by another man and she has committed adultery, but I want you to love her. Just as I love the people of Israel. I tell you, Jesus came as a physical demonstration of God's heart for you, a physical embodiment of God's heart. He wants to buy you back. He wants to recommit himself to you, to remarry himself to the church, to us, to restore us to the glory that we were created to have. John 14, 1 and 3, do do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I will come back and take you to be with me and that you may also be where I am. Jesus wants to be with you. As someone that's in love, when you're in love, you want to be with that person. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. These seals like a wedding ring, like, a, like an outward sign. It's a deposit of heaven to come. It guarantees our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. And let me read for you as well the very end of Hosea because it's just so touching. God's heart for us. It's so overwhelming is what it is. It's uncontainable. I will heal you of your faithfulness. Faithlessness, sorry. I'll heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. 
for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. And Israel, you will bloom like a lily. You'll send roots deep into the soil like, like trees. This is a flower that's the size of a tree. You'll send roots deep into the soil and you'll be like the cedars in Lebanon. I love that image of this is what's happening when you're in relationship with Jesus. This is what's happening when the, the fullness of your connection to Him, you bloom. Mankind blooms when in relationship with the Son. We bloom. I want to see you bloom. I want to see you connected deeply with roots like trees, and I want to see you bloom. Oh, Israel, stay away from idols. Stay away, let's replace the word, stay away from vanity. Stay away from self-obsession. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit, all your fruit comes from me. I'll get you a stand to your feet, church. Here's the big takeaway from today coming up to Easter. It's the love it's the love of Jesus and it's your responsibility to Jesus's heart. You know like like a father when his daughter first starts dating. And they try and impress upon the young man that comes along, how precious their daughter is, you know. They don't trust them to care for their daughter the way they care for their daughter, right? Imagine God the Father with His Son, His Son Jesus' heart that He's giving to you. Is that not what we're here to receive today? Is this not, is being here not an expression of that love? There's the responsibility that comes with that love too. We can't just kick it round and abuse Jesus' love for us. So we need to keep within ourselves a first love, a purity in the way we do things, an expectation in the way we do things. We need to make sure that we're lighting up when Jesus enters the room because otherwise something's wrong. Something is wrong if that is not happening for you. And sure, maybe you say, yes, I love Jesus, but... Jesus doesn't want any old love. He wants your first love. And that's up to us. That's our responsibility. Join me in praying to, praying to Jesus right now. Jesus, Lord, I pray, Lord, that there will be no guile in us, Lord. No deception in us, Lord. No fakeness in us, Lord. No vanity in us, Lord. Lord, we trust that you created us the way you did for a reason, God. 
And because of that, Lord, we just want to declare you are the Son of God right here in this place. We declare the truth about you, Lord, the honesty about you. We reflect back that which you love, God. And Lord, help our hearts feel again, God. Help us see our own selves, Lord. Help us be inspired and infatuated with you, Father, so we can sense your small moves, Lord. So we're dwelling on your word. So we're thinking about it day and night, Father. Wherever you are, we wanna be with you, God. Take us away, Lord. Let us get carried away with you, God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. I'm gonna give an opportunity right now to get back to that first love with a step of faith. If in your heart you know that somewhere along the way it's not the best anymore that you're giving, somewhere along the way you lost your first love of Jesus, just shoot up your hand. All eyes are closed, no judgment. It's just a step of faith. See that hand? Who else? Yep, see those hands. Yep. 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 Let me pray for you, those that raised your hands. Lord, we know you love faith, God. We know you love faith, Lord. Lord, we know that by faith you declared Abraham righteous, God. You declared him pure and perfect just by faith, Lord. And so I pray a blessing upon those people that raise their hands, Lord. And Lord, I pray that for that expression of their heart, Lord, you repay that a hundredfold, Father. And Lord, that there will be an anointing upon them, Father. And there will be a change in their life, Father, such that people will say something is different about you. There is something amazing going on in your heart. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Pour your Spirit into their life afresh, Lord. Reveal yourself to them, Lord. Reveal yourself to them, Father. Let's worship God, church.